Uh, we've been working our way through the book of Acts for several weeks now. We've been watching as God sort of stretches the boundaries of what this movement of Jesus followers would become, right? Uh, we say Acts is the beginning of the church, uh, the church, not the building, but the church as in the community of Jesus followers that are empowered by the spirit, that believe in Jesus, have trusted in the word of God for their salvation and are now following Jesus. And so uh, this is kind of expanding. And as we've gone through the book of Acts, we've seen God just kind of stretch the boundaries and limitations of what is possible. And he's just kind of furthering and furthering and furthering. And what we've seen happen uh, in that is, is the disciples, just the followers of Jesus' minds are being opened to the possibilities of what God could do. Right, when it started, it was just the 12, uh, man, you know, maybe a few others, but they were just kind of like, okay, Jesus died on the cross. We think he resurrected. And then they saw him and it was like, oh, and then it kind of added. And then Jesus ascended and they were still just in Jerusalem, but people were kind of being added to the church. Then Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit came and it was like, whoa, there's a couple thousand people now. And then there was a persecution on the church in Jerusalem. And so because of that persecution, they began to scatter. And it was like, oh, there's believers in different cities now, but they were all still Jewish at this point in time. Uh, but they were at least like expanding a little bit, stretching like, oh, Jews in other places could come to follow Jesus. And then they went to the Samaritans and Samaria is like, you know, uh, racially very different than Judaism. And so they were like divided. And so it was like, oh, maybe these people could love Jesus too. And it just kept expanding and expanding. And like what we learned a couple weeks ago before Phil taught last week was the reason this story has been told is to expand your hope, right? So if God is stretching the boundaries and limitations of what is possible and what could take place, then your hope should also be being stretched and expanded. Like your hopefulness, your encouragement, your understanding of the possibilities of what God could do in your life, in your day, in your future, should be being stretched and expanded. You should leave more hopeful after understanding the book of Acts than when you read it the first time. And so we've been talking about all that and today we're going to read another circumstance that if you're not paying close attention, may, you may be tempted like, to not consider it a big deal. You'd be like, oh yeah, there's a couple cool things that happen. Great, what's next? But if you kind of actually think about it and pay attention to what God is doing, how he's working, what he's communicating, it's a very hopeful passage. It's actually a huge stretching of the understanding of the limitations of what this thing could become. Now, just to catch you up to speed, I mentioned the community of Jesus followers, including the disciples with Jesus, all began in Jerusalem. Uh, now the Jesus followers began to scatter because of the persecution. Uh, they were getting imprisoned and one of them got murdered. So they're like, ah, we're out of here. And it started to scatter. But then Saul, the guy who was kind of leading the persecution, leading the imprisonment and was overseeing the death of one of their followers, uh, he actually, God changed his heart at the beginning of Acts chapter nine. And so he actually became a Jesus follower. And so now the church is like coming out of this season of intense persecution and into this season of freedom. So I don't know if you ever like, I don't know, when I was little, I used to wrestle with my dad and like I'd have my head down because he'd like hit me with pillows and stuff. And then like he'd get bored and like watch a golf tournament. I'd kind of like, are we gonna be okay? Like that's kind of what the church is doing now, right? They're kind of like, ah, and now they're like, oh, like, this is cool. And so that's where we pick it up. Uh, Acts chapter 9, starting verse 32. So if you, again, if you got one of our wider blue Bibles, page 535, we're going to be on the right-hand side of the page towards the top. 
It says this, verse 32 of Acts chapter 9. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came also to the saints who lived at Lydia. Now, this is impressive, right? Peter's coming out of this season of intense persecution. Now he's going like around, visiting different churches, visiting different groups of community that Jesus, uh, Jesus follower communities, like he's checking this out. This is kind of a new thing for him because they've come out of this season of really intense persecution. And there he found, verse 33, a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. So Peter's traveling amongst the communities of Jesus followers, comes to Lydda. It says he found a man who was paralyzed, which is an odd way to say it. He just found him, like what he was hiding, like Marco Polo. No, like he found him. That's going to play a major part as we talk about it later. But Peter finds this man, walks in, and kind of like a boss, he's like, get up, right? And the guy does, like, Jesus Christ heals you. And the guy stands up, and everybody sees it, and this is an amazing thing. And the whole community starts to be like, whoa, what's going on here? Starts to follow Jesus. Verse 36, look at the story as it continues. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. Go ahead and get your giggles out right now. I know there's a junior high boy in all of you that's like, Dorcas, really? Yeah. It means gazelle. You're welcome. Uh, she was full of good works and acts of charity. And in those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. And all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas has made while she was with them. Okay, some Jesus followers from the next city over from where Peter has just healed this man, Aeneas, hear that Peter's in town. They hear what Peter's done. They send two guys to go get him because one of their most beloved members, Tabitha, I'm going to call her that because I don't want to giggle the whole time, saying Dorcas over and over, right? Tabitha has passed away, and Peter comes, right? He hears the two guys, comes back to the place where she's prepared for burial, and there's a crowd of people around her. And the crowd of people is like showing him, like, she made us this. She's so loving. She's incredible. We miss her so dearly. Can't believe she got sick. Can't believe she passed away. Like, they're all surrounding really a big deal for this group of Jesus followers, this church here. Now, at this point, what do you expect Peter to do? What do you know of Peter? Do you know anything about Peter? If you don't, like, follow with me here. Peter is one of the most stubborn and prideful people that we have in the scriptures thus far. Like, if you started reading at the beginning of your New Testament and you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which if you didn't know are just the uh, stories of Jesus's life from four different perspectives, you watch Jesus's life. And in the story, Peter is always this guy who's super confident, super self-assured. Some would even say maybe prideful or arrogant, right? There's points in time where he's like telling Jesus what to do. Like, Jesus is like, I'm going to die on the cross. And Peter's like, you will not. And it's like, that's always a bad idea. Right, And then Peter kind of views himself as better than all the other disciples. There's one point where Peter and Jesus are talking, and Peter's like, hey, Jesus, I just want to let you know. All these chumps are going to fall away. I'm never going to fall away. I'm your dude. Like me, you. So Peter's got this idea of like prideful arrogance that comes out sometimes. Right? He rebukes Jesus on a few occasions where he's like, Jesus, don't do that. And Jesus is like, I came from heaven. 
pipe down, right? So like, there's this moment where you, you kind of go, I wonder what Peter would do. Just previous to what is about to take place, Peter walked into a city in Lydda, saw Aeneas, and was like, hey, Jesus Christ heals you, rise and walk. So it would not surprise me at all if Peter was like, hey, you guys wanna see something cool? Check out what I can do. Get over here, everybody. Tabitha, arise, right? Like prideful people love that kind of stuff. Prideful people love a crowd. Arrogant people love to show what they can do. Humble brag, no, 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 it's not me, it's God. Just watch, right? Like come all around, like everybody, get everybody in the room. Let's see what happens. Verse 40. But Peter put them all outside and he knelt down and it says he prayed. This is not the posture of an arrogant man. This is not the posture of a prideful man. The heart condition expressed right here is a heart of complete dependence on God. It does not seem like he thinks he can do this in his own strength, which is much different than the Peter we know from chapters earlier in your Bible, where it definitely thought he could do it in his own strength. Now, if you're not paying attention, this may not be a big deal to you, but this is not the guy that we saw earlier in the Bible. To react like this in this situation is a complete departure from the guy we know from earlier in the story of Jesus. So what's happened here? What happened to Peter? His heart's been changed. His heart has been completely transformed. His prideful, overconfident, self-promoting heart has been and is still being transformed. And he's now expressing humility and graciousness and submission to God. And look at what happens. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Verse 41. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling all the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Now, don't skip over this, okay? These are two really cool stories. Don't skip them. Don't make the faulty assumption that because we know Peter to be like this foundational biblical character and this great pillar of the Christian faith, that he was always like this or that he somehow was just born a great follower of Jesus. This is a massive transformation. This is incredible growth from where we know Peter to have come from. Now, now Peter experienced real trial and real failure and real hardship that got him to this place. Like there was real difficulty in his life that has initiated this heart change. And I actually read, uh, I was reading a book recently that described this process as just this title I love with all my heart. He called it personal gospel renewal. I, I love that idea of it. Right? Because we could say, like, oh, yeah, heart change, transformation, got saved, you know, like these Christian words that church people use to describe this thing. And like non believers are like, what? Personal gospel renewal is this idea. It's, it's with me and it's with my heart. And the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ came and died for our sins on the cross, that God loved us enough to show us mercy and grace by sending Jesus to die for our sins and then resurrect the third day to give us a hope and a future for the rest of our lives in eternity. So that news, that gospel news that God loves us, he's not against us, but he's for us and he sent Jesus to prove it and our sins are forgiven. That renews us. That, that makes your life new, not just better, new. Like that's incredible. 
And so that's what's happened to Peter here. His heart, like he's had personal gospel renewal. It's, his life has changed. And I would argue from this passage that this personal gospel renewal is not only God's goal for every life, but the whole point of all the stuff that we see God doing, not only in this passage, but in the whole book of Acts. Look at verse 35 with me. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. Don't miss this, okay? What is actually happening here? What is actually happening here? Are all of them just like, oh, we need to follow Jesus? Probably not. There was probably individuals that are being changed. Individuals in the community that are experiencing personal gospel renewal. It's not a single event. It's not this one giant unit of salvation. This sentence tells us what's happening here is an accumulation of many individual choices to follow Jesus because the gospel has renewed their lives, renewed their outlook, given them hope, stretched and expanded their understanding of what is possible with their life. And and I point that out because a lot of people, they they see a story like this and they're like, man, I want to be part of that. Right? Church people have called this revival over the years where a whole bunch of people like turn to Jesus or, or find a new, deeper relationship with Jesus. It's called revival. You probably heard it. But here's the thing. Revival doesn't happen by just a flip of a switch and then all of us have our minds changed. Revival happens because each of us individually experience this. So if you want to be a part of a revival, if you want to be a part of God working in something incredible like this, if you want to be a part of this incredible movement of God, it's probably going to start personally, right? We have this idea that revival is this big outside of us thing. And the truth is, it's probably like a small inside of us thing, right? I say that, why? Because I want you to understand what's happening here and feel the weight of that a little bit. Right? It happens again in verse 42. Look at verse 42. It became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Many. So this is a whole bunch of people that are individually making these personal choices to be renewed by the gospel. God is using these miracles to spark personal gospel renewal in these individual hearts. It seems both miracles were intended to produce the same result. Individual heart change. Do you see that? The miracles weren't just for God to be like, see? I'm really cool. Like the the miracles were so that individuals would be transformed. And more individuals responding to and being transformed and having their lives renewed in the hope of the gospel is the point of God doing these incredible signs. Now I point this out because we read like this and, and we see God doing this great work and there's maybe miracles involved and lots of life transformation. We think that would be cool to be a part of it. And we think, oh, it's like a revival. I just want it to come. And it usually is gonna start inside of us. And yes, it's really cool that everybody experiences that whole moment, but it's probably gonna start as an individual. God probably brought you here to church this morning to hear this and think like, man, I wish my church would be better. No. Probably, man, I wish I would be better. That's probably why we're hearing this message right now. That's my guess. And and I hope you feel the weight of this individual responsibility. Not to make you try harder and do better. Okay, hear me on this. 
Because lots of times you go to church and there's a pastor and he gives a message. It's like, you feel that? You feel that weight? And you're like, yeah, I feel that weight. And you all walk out feeling guilty. And you're like, thanks. And he's like, hope you tithe, right? Like after you make you feel terrible for an hour. I'm not trying to make you feel terrible for an hour. I'm trying to hope that weight will change your expectations of what could happen this morning. I don't want you to walk out here being like, try harder, do better. We're all waiting on revival. You're just a loser. Straighten up. Like, that's not what I'm telling you to do. I'm telling you that this weight should shift your expectations of what is possible in this moment right now. This should shift your expectations of what you expect God to do as his word interacts and confronts your heart. I think this story is in your Bible to stretch and expand the boundaries of your understanding and therefore change your expectations of what God wants to do inside of you this morning. Because let's be honest right now. There's people listening to me, probably in this room, and they're like, yo, Jared, I just came to church. I need no personal gospel renewal. Or whatever, that sounds hard. I just was hoping this wouldn't be boring. I don't know if I want to do all that work about like transformation and blah, blah, blah. like my wife wanted me to come, so I'm here. You're welcome. I, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here, but God has put this story in the Bible to shift your expectations. Like, this is great if the, 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 your highest hope for this morning was that it just wouldn't be boring and that we'd end on time. But, but maybe God is speaking to your heart this morning like, hey, let's stretch your understanding. Let's stretch your hope. Let's stretch the boundaries of what you think is possible. Peter only did three miracles in his entire ministry. Do you know that? He only did three. Now, I, don't, I say that like he's a chump. Only three, you loser, right? Most people have no miracles, okay? So three's a lot, okay? So I don't mean to like, like I'm gonna get to heaven, Peter's gonna be like, I heard that sermon, three? No, like, <laughs> three's a lot. I'm sorry, Peter, he's not listening to me. Jesus is listening to me. Anyway, I'm getting so far off theologically. There's some guy in the back like, Peter can't hear you. I know, I know, I'm sorry. Peter only did three miracles, We've read them all so far in the book of Acts. There was Acts chapter 5. There was a lame man at the gate. He had been lame his entire life. He couldn't walk. And what happened? Peter healed him. He healed him. He had legs. They weren't strong. Peter healed that man. He never had the ability to walk, but Peter healed him. And then we get these two miracles here. Aeneas had been paralyzed, so that means at some point he could walk and move, but he had lost it. And and Peter restored that ability to him. So he had an ability, he lost it, and he was restored. And then this third one, Tabitha, was dead, and Peter made her alive through the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, that's incredible. So we have a lame guy who his body didn't function correctly, he's healed. We have a paralyzed man who had proper function but lost it for eight years and now is restored. And then we have a dead woman who had lost her life and now was revived and made alive. So we put those in just a list, just to recap, okay? Just big picture view, look at what Peter's miracles were. Healing, restoration, made alive. What do you think God is trying to communicate in these three miracles through the first six months of the existence of the church? 
You think that's an accident, or do you think God wants the world to know that this community of Jesus followers represents a mighty Savior? We have a God who heals what is broken. We have a God who restores what's been lost. And we have a God who conquers death with life. That's it. Peter does three miracles, he's done. For the rest of your Bible, we have no more recorded miracles of Peter. Why? Because God communicated what he desired to communicate. He's a restoring God. He's a healing God. He's a life-giving God. And here's what's crazy. We have these two miracles here at the end, and they're side by side. God, in his wisdom, put them right next to each other. Aeneas, Tabitha, right next to each other. Why do you put things right next to each other? To compare them, right? Right? You got like a paint color. You're trying to figure out your wall. You put it up next to the other one. You're like trying to do it. You like put these things, right? You're always comparing and contrasting. Sometimes it's on purpose. Sometimes it's on accident. Like when I have a forerunner and like I feel really great about my forerunner until I park next to a new forerunner in the parking lot at the grocery store, right? All of a sudden now it's like not as shiny as the other one and like the scratches that I never notice until there's a new one next to me and then like mine's the old body style, this is the new one, right? You feel, it's like going to the beach with like bodybuilders. Like you don't feel bad until you're like, let's swim. And then you're like, oh, this is like nobody needs that, right? You put things next to each other to compare, right? Actually, I'm gonna, you don't know this about our worship leader, Jake, but I love him and he's great. Uh, But his pet peeve is that you are not allowed at any point to play a song that he's about to play on stage through the loudspeakers before service. Like he's just, I get it, right? The musicians are like professionals and they're recording, they're editing and they got all this stuff. It's not, it's not nice to put them next to each other side by side. But Jake will be like not even in the room. Like he'll be like out getting coffee or something like that and the Spotify playlist will end so they'll just play a random song and it happens to be a song that we're gonna play later and I'll get like a text, I hear that! I'm like, where is he? Like how does that happen, right? He doesn't like that comparison, I get it, right? We're all self-conscious in our own ways. But that's why you put things right next to each other is to compare them. So let's look at these comparisons. When we look at these two people side by side, what do we see? Aeneas, what do we know about this guy? Absolutely nothing. He's paralyzed. That's all we know. Doesn't say he was a follower of Jesus. Doesn't say he was a member of the community of Jesus followers. Doesn't sound like there was a bunch of people around praying for his healing. It says Peter just found him. Nobody came to advocate for him. Peter's just walking through town, seems like. It was like, oh, what's wrong with this guy? He can't walk. Peter heals him. Now, Tabitha, on the other hand, seems to be on the complete opposite end of the spectrum where we have no idea about what kind of man Aeneas is, Tabitha is incredible. She's just a wonderful woman. We're not told anything about Aeneas. We're told Tabitha's life was full of good works. We have no record of anyone being around for Aeneas. We have a whole community weeping for Tabitha, caring for her enough to send for Peter, and then showing him the clothing that she had made for them when she arrived. This woman is a saint and loved by everybody. Now, let's bring it back to personal gospel renewal. If it were possible to be a wonderful enough human being not to need God's miraculous power or to somehow need it less, Tabitha is that person. She's amazing. She's wonderful, godly, dearly loved, and guess what? She needs the grace of God just as badly as the last guy whom we know nothing about. All the good works, all the kind words, 
all the helpfulness, all the Jesus following, it does not remove her need for God to save her. Here's the deal. It's not that some people need God and some people don't. It's not that bad people need God and good people don't. It's not even that non-believers need Jesus and believers don't. That's all false. There are no exceptions. All have fallen short. Every single person, doesn't matter if this is your first day in church or you've heard this a million times, you have no hope apart from the healing, restoring, life-giving God of the Bible. You have no hope. And just like we talked about with Peter in the beginning of this message, here is an illustration of all of humanity's complete dependence on God, no matter your circumstances. Doesn't matter if God used you to do some incredible miracle the day before. Doesn't matter if you've done a million great works before. Doesn't matter if I've preached a hundred sermons before. I need God in this moment and you need God in this moment. There is a complete dependence. And I think that's exactly why God put these stories right next to each other. He's like, hey, the guy you know nothing about, no good works, maybe not a follower of Jesus. Who knows how great or bad he was? He needs Jesus to fix him, just like the perfect person, Tabitha, that everybody loves, spent her whole life following Jesus. She still needs Jesus to fix her. Who needed God's grace? Both of them. Tabitha's wonderful life did not remove or lessen her need for dependence upon God for her personal transformation. And sometimes as Christians, we fall into this trap where we're just doing the right types of things and forget to frame our expectations in light of our desperate need for God to change us. We just fall into this habit. Like, I go to church. I tithe. I drive the speed limit, kind of. Right? Like, I do these things. I'm not, like, out getting wasted every Sunday and stuff like that. So I don't need... Yes, you do need. You need it just as much as anybody needs it. There is a complete dependence on God that is illustrated here, no matter where you are on the spectrum. All right, one more thing before we finish. Do you ever wonder why God decided to do it like this? Like, why do you need Peter to come? Like, why do you need these people around praying for Tabitha? Like, why? If there was people in Lydda and, and in Joppa, is that the place? No, whatever. You, you don't care. If there was people in these two cities who God wanted to follow him, why do you need to bring Peter to do a miracle to make that happen? Why couldn't God just change their hearts where they were? Why couldn't they have just like gone to bed? Now I lay me down to sleep. <laughs> Holy Spirit, I'm a follower of Jesus now. Like, why did it have to be Peter coming, doing a miracle, healing a person? Why? why? That, does, that seems unnecessary. Like why do we have to go through this whole thing? Think about the stories of the people in Lydda. Maybe you're, maybe you're just a, a regular old supermarket clerk in Lydda. You're hanging out. There's an Aeneas guy. He used to come by every week, buy his groceries. Doesn't come by anymore, right? Because he's paralyzed. Everybody in town knows about it. It's not a big place. Then one day you hear there's this Peter guy coming into town. Guess he's a big deal with the Jesus followers. Okay, whatever. He knew Jesus. Oh, that's cool. It's great. A couple days later, Aeneas comes in to get groceries again. What? What's going on here? Thought you were paralyzed. Yeah. Jesus Christ changed my life. He did? What? What? And then people start coming in. Yeah. Did you hear about Aeneas? Yeah. Jesus changed his life. Jesus changed my life too. 
You start talking to him. Now you hear like this message from these people who are talking to Peter. Like there's this Jesus guy and he died on the cross for our sins. And like he gave us this hope of eternity. And you're like, is this true? Like you come home and you're like, God, I don't, I don't know what's going on here. But this Aeneas guy was paralyzed and now he's walking. And like this group of people in our city is now like, I just, I know all these people and they were normal. And now they're like walking around with this joy and this kindness and this love for one another, this generosity. It never happened before. Like, are you trying to say something to me? And bam, the Holy Spirit comes in like, you know what? I think this is true. I think this is worth giving my life to. Now you start to tell the story and you look out in your city and you're like, hey, remember when Peter came? Like that whole thing with Aeneas, like it changed my life. And they look across and they're like, it changed my life too. It changed my life too. And now you look around and you're like, it changed all of us? Yeah, it did. And what has happened? The way God has done it has brought together a community. See that? Because by Peter coming and doing the miracle and everybody watching Aeneas, now we all have a story, this point of connection where we know what God has done or we were watching when God healed Aeneas and we remember that time frame when we all became believers and followers and we are grateful to Peter and we're grateful to Aeneas, but more than that, we're grateful to the Holy Spirit. And now we're all connected in a way that wouldn't have been possible if God had just been like, you and your house, you're saved. You and your house, you're saved. You're a new, like that it wouldn't have connected them in the same way. So now if you and I are both citizens of Lydda and we both have our hearts changed, we're connected because we both saw what happened to Aeneas and it affected and changed us. And we're both grateful for Peter coming to preach the gospel to us because we didn't know before we were living in ignorance. And now we're connected to each other and also connected to Peter. And then Peter's going to go back to Jerusalem. And now we feel connected to Jerusalem because we know the leader of their church and how powerful and awesome and wonderful he is. And so like we're all starting to be connected in the way God starts to do these things. You see that? Like the way God did it intentionally connected people to one another in their faith. He didn't just leave them scattered. He did it in this way so we would be brought together. Now, what's crazy about this is 2021. There's a whole bunch of people who intentionally do the Christian thing in a way that doesn't connect them to people. Like that's like a thing. Like, I'm going to go to church, but I'm going to sit in the back. I'm not going to talk to anybody. And I am going to leave during the last song so I can get to the parking lot and get out before anybody talks to me. Right? You're giggling because you know. Right? Like, that's the exact opposite of what God's trying to do. God's like, I want to connect my people. And we're like, no, I don't want to be connected. I want to do this by myself. Well, joke's on you. We don't have a parking lot. Ha! No. <laughs> We did. We ran into a parking lot. But like, like, this is what we do. Like, we have this tendency to be like, my life would be so much better if I wasn't surrounded by people. And God's like, no, it wouldn't. Actually, it's my intention to expose to you that every single person on this planet, from the Aeneases to the Tabithas, all are completely dependent on the grace of God. And I'm going to bring you together in a way that connects you to one another. That's why he does it the way that he does it. And, and, and here's what's crazy in our culture. Like I said, God is doing things like this in a ways that are intentionally trying to connect us. And we are fighting tooth and nail to stay disconnected, to stay apart. Just so you know, 
If you find that in your heart this morning, that's the complete opposite of the great intentions that God has for your life this morning. God has so much more for you. You ever suggested something to somebody because you know it would be awesome for them and they just don't want it? I don't want to do that, right? C.S. Lewis has this incredible story that he tells about this kid playing in a mud puddle and his parents are trying to take him to the beach, which is like half a mile away. And they're like, come on, buddy, let's go to the beach. He's like, I don't want to leave the mud puddle. And they're like, no, no, come on the beach. Like, I want to play in the water. It's like, we got clean water. He's like, no, I want to play and build castles. It's like, there's a mud puddle. The castles are terrible. Let's go a half a mile this way. There's the beach. And he's just like freaking out. And, and that's a great picture of what God is doing with so many of our hearts. Like God's like, hey, come on now. Connect with people. You need me. You're dependent on me. You're like, no, I bought a boat. I'm going to the lake for the weekend. I don't need to connect to anybody. Like, okay, but there's so much more I have for your life. There's so much more I want to do in your life. There's so much more I want to lead your family into. There's so much more depth and meaning and purpose and fulfillment in life than you understand. And the Holy Spirit's a lot nicer than I am, right? There's this gentle conviction in your heart probably as you hear some of these things. Right? Maybe you're perfect. Maybe you heard this, you're like, yep, I got it. And you're going to walk out by yourself, and the Holy Spirit's going to get you out there. But maybe in here right now in this moment, there's a piece of this that you're like, hey, God's word is true. He's speaking to you, not because he's mad at you. He's convicting your heart, not because he's upset with you. Not because he's looking down from heaven with his arms crossed like, they don't get it. But he's wanting more for your life than you even probably want for yourself. He loves you more than you love yourself. I love myself a lot, Jared. You don't know me. I get it. But he cares for you, and that's why he's writing his word in the way that he's writing it. I hope that the boundaries of your expectations are expanded this morning. I hope that you're reminded that he has written this, that you would have hope and I hope that you would desire and expect personal gospel renewal as you are reminded of your dependence and need for God this morning. I hope you recognize this morning that he has done this in a way to connect you with people in a movement to cause you to give your life meaning and purpose and fulfillment because he unwaveringly loves you and wants more for you than you even want for yourself. Amen? Worship team, come on up. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you for this morning and for your word uh, and the way it stretches and sometimes challenges us, Lord. And I pray our expectations of what you're doing in our lives, Lord, is even stretched and challenged this morning. Maybe the limitations that we've unintentionally placed on what you could do or how you could work or what you're calling us to Maybe you're breaking those down. Maybe you're pushing those further. Maybe you're stretching those out. Maybe there's people in this room this morning that needed their hope stretched a little bit. Father, as we sit right now, I just pray that you by your spirit would do your work in our hearts, that you would continue to speak to us and lead us You give us great clarity on what it is you're calling us to do next, Lord. Maybe there's a step we need to take. Maybe there's a step of obedience that we need to step into. Maybe there's something that's terrible for us we need to step away from. I know what you're putting on people's hearts this morning, Lord, but I do know that you're faithful. 
I do know that you're good. I do that, that you'll never leave us or forsake us. And I ask just humbly, Lord, that you would do your work because we recognize we, we so desperately need you this morning from the least to the greatest. Lord, come work in us. We're gonna take a couple moments and just be silent right now. Uh, this is a time for you to just to pray. Communicate with God. Think about things maybe put on your heart. Think about things that maybe he's calling you to do. Think about things that he's convicting you on. Maybe things that need to change or be different. Just spend about 30, 60 seconds maybe now. Just pray to the God. Pray to God in your own heart. Father, we are so grateful that you don't leave us alone. You don't leave us like you found us, but you and your grace give us the power to change, Lord. We can't thank you enough for that, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.